Welcome to another edition of Bitcoin Tech Talk. My name is Jimmy Song, and you can always find this newsletter at jimmysong.substack.com. Bad money fragilizes Bitcoin Tech Talk, issue number 280. One of the main benefits of the current system is that so much is centralized. This is great for efficiency, resulting in cheaper prices. The impetus for this pressure towards efficiency is fiat money. Fiat money puts tremendous pressure on keeping prices down because of the phenomenon of sticky prices. People do not like paying more money for the same goods, so manufacturers are forced to make their goods cheaper. Many opt to make their products worse, essentially debasing their goods or services along with fiat, but the other option they have is to centralize production and use scale to offset the loss incurred by inflation. Unsurprisingly, this has led to enormous multinational corporations where only a few companies control entire industries. This unfortunately means that, your pro uh, that product innovation is sacrificed, but further, it makes the production of these goods enormously fragile. This is obvious in semiconductors, for instance. People in the semiconductor industry know that there's really only one top-notch semiconductor producer, and that's TSMC. Taiwan Semiconductor produces the best chips, and given that it's an industry that's extremely technical and requires serious scale, they've been the supplier for chips to almost everyone around the world. The current shortage of new cars around the world is due to a shortage of chips manufactured by TSMC, which feature prominently in all new cars. What's crazy is that TSMC isn't even that big of a company. Their capital outlay in 2020 was around $18 billion, which, to put into context, was less than what Netflix paid to produce original programming. Yet entire global industries are dependent on what TSMC produces. We've, what we've witnessed in the chip manufacturing industry is a relentless drive to reduce costs, which has led to few players and a fragile supply chain. Of course, TSMC is expanding to keep up with the enormous demand for their chips, and they've announced new plants in Japan and the U.S., among others, to mitigate for some of the global transportation issues that happened during COVID. Yet the fact remains, the world economy is very fragile. What would happen, for example, if the dollar collapsed and TSMC no longer accepted USD for their chips? They would refuse dollars for goods and services and offer some other foreign money. This would cause friction and would slow everything down. In other words, when the money goes bad, tra trade tends to slow. We got a taste of this the past couple of years because inflation is the process of money going bad. Supply chain disruptions were really just people adjusting to new prices up and down the supply chain. After all, if you had planned to pay X dollars for something you needed, and it suddenly went to 1.5 X dollars, wouldn't you at least try to negotiate that down, or look for another supplier, or see if there are alternate parts that are cheaper? This all takes time, and it happens because the money is going bad. Inflation is chipping away at the societal foundation a bit at a time. The inflation has amplified societal upheaval. There's a huge increase in authoritarianism and riots all over the world. Multiple places in the world seem to be on the brink of collapse, war, or both. People are more politically divided than ever, many talking past each other and neither side willing to even acknowledge the other side is even sane. In other words, they're cost inflation. 
and they tend to show up in places that we don't expect. The problem is centralization. We've gotten addicted to its efficiency and cheapness and don't notice all the costs. All the cheap goods come at the cost of significant fragility and moreover, mortgage the future. The current system is simply not sustainable. Thankfully, we have Bitcoin. We have this ability to build on a solid foundation, but we have to recognize that a lot of the world is not right, not there right now. The transition is going to be difficult, and there's going to be a lot of upheaval before we see a better tomorrow. So I wrote this article thinking about just uh, what's going on in Canada and how we got here. Um, it's important to remember that a lot of What's been happening is really the result of inflation, um, the supply chain disruptions and all this other stuff, uh, the authoritarianism and so on just kind of comes along with the territory. When money goes bad, trade slows. When trade slows, people uh, people's sort of, uh, you know, lifestyles and everything else just uh, go down the drain. They're they're um, you know, they, they can't live the way they used to. And. And this disruption tends to make people angry. And uh, a lot of the disruptions that we're seeing everywhere are the result of that. There's a mismatch between what people are expecting and what people are getting. And that, that's where we are right now. Anyway, hopefully, um, you know, it's, it's a bit sobering, but hopefully that, that gets us to uh, acknowledge uh, what the problems are. Um, and it really is a lot of fiat money and centralization and this very, very fragile system that we live in. Bitcoin, Z-Man has published his idea for an op to Tapleaf update verify alternative with op evict. The main idea here is the same as op TLUV in that a single UTXO will represent the collective ownership of a group of people, also known as a po coin pool, with each, <clears throat> each with a different amount owned. Both op codes would allow for shuffling within the coin pool without any on-chain transaction, but would allow for any participant to leave the pool. The main difference with OpEvict is that it requires less overhead. The implications from a privacy perspective is that the coin pool is still trustless and allows for hiding your balance with a bunch of others. I can see this being a useful alternative to coin joins. Um, so I really like this idea of a coin pool because a single UTXO can represent lots and lots of people and exchanges sort of do this already um, if you have your coins on an exchange they probably have only a few uh, well I, I, it depends on the exchange but it is possible for them to have a single utxo that represents the balance of their entire user base um, they don't uh, you know that that's kind of nice but you kind of have to trust the exchange there are other ways to do coin pools where you don't have that and you're within sort of like um, a UTXO set and you can shuffle between them and this would be like a group that um, that you're doing a lot of business with or something like that. And uh, it's, it's similar in concept to Lightning in the sense that there's another layer where you do a lot of the settlement. Uh, but, you know, you, you get a lot of the anonymity features, at least on chain, because you're, you know, none of them, uh, none of these people are going to rat you out or whatever, or, and, uh, there's no like evidence on chain and so on. Um, so you can design more interesting things within a coin pool. So, um, I like the direction that this is going. Opivict has some, uh, some benefits that OptapLeaf update verify doesn't. Um, yeah, so there, there's some interesting ideas with a coin pool.
A new paper explores the game theoretical responses to the selfish mining attack. The selfish mining attack was written by Syra Tal as a way to mine with a third of network hashing power to get more than a third of the due rewards. The new paper poses a way to defeat such an attack largely by infiltrating the selfish mining pool. The basic idea is that an insightful pool can infiltrate a selfish mining pool by binding for them and see the hidden blocks not published yet from the selfish mining attack. They conclude that even two pools following the insightful strategy would deny the selfish mining attack no matter the hash rate distribution. I always suspected that there was something seriously one-sided about the selfish mining attack, and this paper seems to have brought out the obvious counter. Um, so the selfish mining attack is that you sort of like high blocks that you've already found and keep mining. And uh, at least in a pool scenario, what this paper is saying, if you're, if you're doing that, then I can just go into your pool and see that you're not mining on the latest block that I know of. Instead, you're hiding some blocks and then there, there would be some mitigations against it and so on. So um, there, there's a lot of like sort of interesting cat and mouse game theory around something like the uh, selfish mining attack that I don't think has really been that well explored. And, uh, you know, according to their paper, um, the Nash equilibrium ends up being that, uh, you know, if you have even two pools that are using this insightful uh, strategy where you're, uh, you know, checking other pools to make sure that they're not uh, mining block or they're not hiding blocks, uh, you know, and withholding them from the network, um, you'll you'll basically get uh, an honest, uh, you know, every everyone will get their due rewards instead of uh, somebody kind of getting to cheat. So really, really interesting paper. Um, I recommend you look at it if you're uh, into that sort of thing. Want to run a Bitcoin crowdfund like the Canadian truckers did? You can use Voltage and BTC Pay Server to do it pretty natively. I was surprised crowdfunding is already available on a peer-to-peer -peer basis like this. This is way better than centralized platforms since there's no middleman taking a large cut and the recipient definitely gets the money. There's a bit more risk for the people donating since they have to verify the crowdfund campaign themselves, but this is something I'm definitely going to try to set up for my next book. So um, apparently you can hook up the Voltage uh, plugin or something with BTC Pay Server and you have a crowdfunding platform with Lightning and everything. Um, and that's that's really kind of cool. You can uh, you can you know take donations or whatever and put it towards something. I suppose it's not that different than uh, you know just like a QR code for accepting donations. But you know th this will I guess keep track a little bit better of who who gave what, so you can give them their reward. Lightning, simple Lightning published part one of their payment channel series. This one goes into commitment transactions and settlement transactions and how they enable a bunch of non-published transactions within the channel. They also show how the simple payment channel has some limitations which motivate further exploration. As they explain, payment channels are edges on the Lightning Network, so it's important to understand them. So, um, you know, payment channels are sort of like the atomic unit and the edges meaning like they're the um, things between nodes that uh, allow, you know, commerce to happen and so on. So. Um, learning about that, I think, is a very good idea if you want to understand Lightning better. Severin Bueller examines Lightning payment speeds. I was surprised to learn that the median time pay, uh, payment time is 8 seconds or so, which seems rather long given that it's supposed to be Lightning fast. That said, the post goes into why payments can be slow as routing 
depends a lot on node-to-node latency, which may not necessarily be very fast. The suggested way to speed up routing in the article was to qualify node connections so that they're relatively fast. This is the obvious local optimization that will make the entire network faster. It will be interesting to see routing algorithms in the future um, uh, make uh, speed rather than fees the priority. So the idea is that, um, you know, he measured like how long uh, lightning payments actually take and it's like eight seconds or something like that. Um, rather than, you know, sort of lightning fast that it's supposed to be. Um, I, I think that's still a decent user experience because that's, a, you know, like 20 seconds is what you what it takes for your credit card and things like that anyway. So, um, but, you know, it can always be faster and uh, optimizing for that would be an interesting exercise on the lightning network. Ben Carmen has made a nice tool to open payment channels straight out of a coin joint. LM Vortex is beta software and requires LND to run, but the idea is that the funding transaction cannot be traced back and allows less linkage between your on-chain and LN transactions. The concept is great, and I would love to see more compatibility, especially with other Lightning implementations. The idea is that you open a channel straight out of a coin join, so it goes into, I guess, the funding transaction and, and so on, and if you already kind of know how that's going to be, then... Um, you can open the channel and make it work and so on. So, um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see if this becomes sort of like a standard um, and you can have like a lightning coin join or something like that where a bunch of people put in like a coin join and everybody from that coin join goes into a lightning channel and that way it's, uh, it's very hard to trace and so on. Stefan Delorme critiques Cash App's Lightning UI from a UI design perspective. The post is very interesting in that it takes the view of a new user and shows the inconsistencies in the UI along with helpful suggestions for on fixing it. It's a good thing to read for any engineer who wants to implement a good user interface. There are a lot of things I didn't think about, which Stefan points out in his critique. So um, he's a designer and into Bitcoin. So he went through the Lightning UI and just sort of pointed out basic things, um, things that like designers think of and not necessarily engineers. So um, interesting article, especially for those of us engineers that aren't necessarily good at design. Economics, engineering, etc. Jamison Lopp has a bunch of statistics in his article about simplicity being a security challenge. Apparently, the crypto investors are uh, overwhelmingly male, about 75%, and trend young, 38. But the crypto curious are majority female and trend a little bit older, 44. This suggests to me that Bitcoin is definitely growing out of the early adopter phase and transitioning into more of a mass product. As Jamison points out, the current crop of adopters coming in means the software and UIs around Bitcoin have to get more simple. Um, and I, I think that's uh, that's definitely right. Um, the uh, Like 75 percent of people that own, quote unquote, crypto um, are male. Uh, but the people that are curious about it tend to be majority female. So, um, you know, the, the next group that are coming in are probably going to be more female, first of all, and maybe a, a little bit older. So you know, uh, you're going to have to sort of like um, uh, make UIs that speak to that demographic. Well-Ordered Wiki has a nice post on Noster and what it does. Essentially, Noster is a way to publish content that's signed. No one can impersonate anyone without the private key, and this allows for publishing from a given entity without all the security vulnerabilities of a centralized platform. It's a different architecture in that each user is expected to own, store their own private key and publish on their own. 
It's purposefully kept simple as to make it flexible. I love how simple it is. And this feels like to me the decentralized web that we've all wanted. They have many protocol improvements in an unfortunately named repository, which include private messaging, usernames, followers, and much more to make a real social network without a trusted third party. Yeah, uh, their, <laughs> their uh, repository is called NIP or Noster Improvement Proposals. Um, I don't think they realize that's slightly racist and refers to a body part that might you know, not be great. Um, anyway, uh, it, it's, it's a great idea. I, 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 I definitely plan on looking into it a little bit more because the protocol is very simple and it doesn't need to get that complicated for something like publishing your thoughts on something or other. Hado Hado shares why they don't require KYC. The post focuses on why Satoshi was anonymous given that Digital <coughs> cash projects that came before and the subsequent arrests and government crackdowns that came as, uh, as a result. Indeed, the lack of anonymity is hurting the truckers in Canada who are being targeted by the Canadian government for monetary oppression. The Post underlines why peer-to-peer -peer transactions are so much better given that a trusted third party is a giant security hole. Speaking of trusted third parties, so... Uh, huddle, huddle. Um, you know they're they're arguing for uh, non KYC stuff because that's an easy way for the government to kind of come after you. So, um, and you know they they point out like the predecessors like Bitgold and things like that, which uh, you know a lot of the people there ended up going to prison. So you have to be very careful, and I I think their caution is warranted. All right. So speaking of trusted third parties. Um, Coinbase patched a really terrible exploit on their platform. I would normally save stories like this for the quick hit section, but this one was just so terrible that I had to comment a bit more on it. The exploit was using their API, which is used by a lot of traders to execute their trading strategies. Apparently, you could substitute any one coin for another to place an order on the API. The exploit allowed API users to sell 50 Shibu at BTC prices, for example. I've been suspicious of this company's technical chops for quite a while, given that they go down with every with even a little bump in volume and have had s several high profile bugs in the past. But this is the biggest flaw I've seen from them yet. How a public company can have this large of a vulnerability unpatched speaks to their incompetence. Here's to hoping that they'll go the way of early search engines and go away before uh, they cause much more significant damage to the industry. So, I mean, the, the exploit was like insanely crazy. Like, uh, you know, you, you could apparently order a, uh, uh, you know, you, you can use use the API to use 50 Shibu to sell Bitcoin, right? Like, and you don't have any Bitcoin, but it'll take Shibu, which is worth many, many times less and get 50 Bitcoin on there. And the guy tested it. Um, apparently got paid a quarter million dollars for the belt bounty. I, I, I still think that's like way too little, but it's insane. It, it's insane that that bug was allowed to be uh, out there. Um, you know, I, I, I do wonder if anyone else exploited it before. I'm sure they'll be checking their databases. I don't expect them to make any of that public, but, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if there was uh, if it was something that's been exploited before. Quick hits. Uh, Warren Davidson has introduced the Keep Your Coins Act. Um, this is the idea that you don't have to have it on a custodial uh, within a, with a custodial exchange and so on. Um, one of these guys bought my hat at a charity auction. Pretty good ROI. I'd say uh, this is the story about uh, you know the Texas guys that are 
using flare mining to make money off of uh, you know off of oil rigs and so on. Um, Warren Buffett is investing in companies ingesting rat poison. I guess he's uh, he's starting to buy bank stock and uh, you know stocks that actually support Bitcoin. So yeah, he called it rat poison. I don't know what's going on. Uh, exchanges are creating a platform called Trust to share customer information. You really can't make this stuff up. Um, they're, I, I, they're trying to self-regulate, I guess, as they see their game coming up. Uh, you know, they, there's a, uh, you know, tremendous pressure on governments to regulate a lot of these exchanges, and they set up Trust T R U S T. Um, they are a trusted third party, obviously. So, yeah, it, <laughs> you really can't make this stuff up. Another week, another DeFi coin shows how it's completely and utterly centralized. And this happens all the time. Uh, but yeah, like you're going to, you, you know, if you're a quote unquote DEX, you can block users. Then it's not really decentralized. Is it? So anyway, I am going to be in London for advancing Bitcoin in about a week or so. Um, I'm going to be at Bitcoin 2022 in Miami, April 6th to 8th. And I do have seminars in London and Miami before both conferences. On this week's Bitcoin Fixes This, I talked to Morgan Harper about her Senate race in Ohio. And I read through last week's newsletter, which you can find. And I was on Create Tailwind to talk about Bitcoin, Christianity, and much more. Uh, the latest book is Bitcoin and the American Dream. And you can read Chapter 4 on Coindesk. Um, my other books are The Little Bitcoin Book, Thank God for Bitcoin, and Programming Bitcoin. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this newsletter. I'm an advisor and proud to be a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig collaborative custody or Bitcoin native financial services, learn more at unchained.com. Yet the one to ask, this song is done.